0: The running time for this Rain Hamcast podcast is 15 minutes, 4 seconds, with a station break at 8 minutes, 24 seconds. Short pauses for Echo Link and All-Star Timer resets occur approximately every 2 minutes, 50 seconds. Welcome to Hamcast podcast number 95 for August 26th, 2023. I'm Kent Peterson, KC0DGY, sitting in for Will Rogers, who's taking a few weeks off. January fifteenth, nineteen 1991, was a red-letter day for Passport to the World Band Radio, a shortwave publication edited by Larry Magney. RAIN's founder, Hap Holly, KC9RP, spoke with Larry for the RAIN report. The Passport to the World Band Radio is a publishing exercise. We've, the
1: company itself has been in existence for some, some other years, but uh, we did engineering consulting to overseas broadcasters. We found that we have a rather unique database of international broadcasts on the air that we had derived from monitoring in various parts of the world, and we were keeping this up-to-date for frequency management purposes, and we said, what the heck? You know, this could be turned around and very useful for the public. So it was almost an afterthought. We came out with what we then called Radio Database International, and a very slim edition, only covered the tropical bands, in January of 1984. And there was a real seller. I think it did something like 300 copies <laughs> And we thought, well, it may not be much, but we we saw a future here. And so, in '85, we came out with a larger two-volume set called Radio Database International, and it it was an '85-'86 edition, and that seemed to do nicely. So the next year, we combined the two into one volume, same name, and that seemed to do very nicely too. So the following year, we changed the name to Passports World Band Radio. That was with the 1988 edition. And this year, we're at the end of January, and the 1991 edition, we've already printed 80,000, sold about 53,000. And we fully expect to sell the rest and maybe then some. So it's been a real nice curve, and just goes to show that there's, there's public interest in shortwave radio. According to a story I heard recently, you are going to go into a second printing. We are, yes. It's in a second printing. We printed 55,000 in the first printing. And we figured we might have to do a small second printing, but we weren't sure. It's it's very hard to gauge when it's growing this fast exactly how many books you're going to have to have. So anyway, we were chugging along, and of course the Gulf situation came along, and zoom! In one day, in fact two days, Monday and Tuesday, last week, not long after the war started, we sent 10,000 books out of here two days so obviously if we did that every day we would be competing with the old testament for for sales of course that was just a blip but still the long-term curve is very strong and the advantage that this blip is having is it's creating a lot of interest in the field not just with us but with hands as well it's stories very often to deal with wave listening like there was one in the columbus journal the other day mentioned about wave listening that went into the role that hands are playing Too often go together, as they always have, and the league is certainly selling an awful lot of books. In fact, we just, an hour ago, sent another big shipment by truck out to them, so they're selling a lot of books to hands, and it's a kind of a mutual thing. It's always been a going together between the two fields, and I'm hoping not only... Where we're getting more shortwave listeners, but I, I'm hoping and expecting that this is going to help the ham community grow and that, and of course the no-code license. The breakdown of the military action in January 15 really didn't start it, though, did it? This has really been uh, coming on for a couple of years, hasn't it? Shortwave listen has really come of its own. Yes, in fact, if you we provided some data to USA Today last Friday, which they printed in, as I recall, essentially it's more or less doubled in the last five years, and the rate of increase is definitely increasing. Uh, for example. Maybe we went up 20% in our sales one year and 30% another and 40% another, and now we're doing like 100%. So it's not just an increase, but it's almost exponential. It does suggest that the real situation in the U.S. is that people have not known about field one of the things we do as far as hamming goes in the book we try to explain to people what the field is how to get started and so forth and also direct them and make them knowledgeable about the fact hamming exists we don't pretend to be a ham reference obviously we're not but you know we let them know that there's this world out there and if they're interested they can go out and do this that and the other are you getting much business from abroad we do get business abroad but the overwhelming majority of our sales are in the united states and canada i don't remember off the top of my head the percentage but we do fairly well in the united kingdom too and in japan and continental europe it's somewhat more traditional over there we haven't really tried real hard to, to get into europe but i suspect that the ground isn't quite as fertile there seems to be a, a certain mindset on the part of americans interestingly have Americans turning outward over the last several years they're looking at the world around them and they want to communicate with and know more about the world around them meanwhile Europeans are turning inward they're trying to become the United States of Europe so the mental outlook of the population is is much more amenable to international communications in this country than it is in Western Europe. Even in the UK, where we do well, we're basically catching the traditional hobby and DX listeners and hams. that are already established, as opposed to what we're seeing in North America, which is a totally new growth market. Sure, many of them are established. Maybe a third. I don't know. We we really aren't certain. But it's 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 maybe a half somewhere in there. Or the people are already established by the book. The part that's interesting is the half that is not established. These are people that are brand new. And we did some analysis on that. We found that after a year, these people are still there. We thought there'd be a dropout rate, but those people stay with it. It's building up a whole new growing base of people. And as far as hamming goes, we don't know what the percentage is, but we know there is a certain percent that sooner or later, after they've listened for a long time, and so with a certain portion of them, we want to get involved in hamming. So we're expecting that this is going to have an afterglow effect on, on Hammock. How much, I don't know, but I, I, I'm sure it will.
0: The sidebar, what do you think no Code is going to do for the
1: uh, future of amateur radio, if anything? I think it will help. How much, I don't know. It's a... Uh I speak as someone who would have been a ham had it not been for code. I just couldn't put up with it when I was younger. And I didn't have the patience for it. Not that I'm against code. There's obvious advantages to code. But I think the idea of having uh, the ability to bring in people where you don't have to learn code, as long as code doesn't wind up getting shunted off to the side, I think there's a real need to make sure that this doesn't wind up becoming the AM radio of Hamming. I think also, if we're going to get fresh blood in there, it's not just numbers and that kind of thing, but it's also the, the idea that there's more people involved, there's going to be more excitement in the field, there's going to be more manufacturers turning out better and, and wider range of products. I'm not sure I see a downside, although I know there's some of my colleagues disagree. I'm not as close to it as they are. But as long as it doesn't get to be a thing where everybody that comes in is, is, is no code and code fades away, I think it, it would be a good thing. Getting back to what you do, is the Passport to World Band Radio the only publication you have today? It's the only major publication we have today. We have about, I think, 15, give or take, monographs. There are, are full findings from our receiver reviews, those reviews that are of equipment that's fairly costly. For example, the tabletop set's made by ICOM and Kenwood and Japan Radio and so forth. Uh, and also some of the more expensive portables. The reasoning being that if somebody's buying a $200 plastic portable, what they see in Passport's buyer's guide is more than enough for what they need. It tells them the rating and the advantages, disadvantages. When they're spending $1,000, they're going to want more information. Originally, it was just a public service type of thing. We photocopied. Well, we put all our information we found from our lab tests, our panelists, and all the little bits and pieces. We kind of made it sensible and in clear English, and put it together into these things, and stapled them together, and, and put them out more or less the cost. And then we found that instead of a hundred or two hundred these going out there were thousands of them going out so uh, essentially we do a lot of those but it's not what you'd normally call publication you're kind of thin you know 15 30 35 pages each and, and I, I don't think you'd say they contribute to to our financial largesse terribly because they're a pain to put together they take a lot of people's
0: time and they cost fairly high print and, and you're online with rain hamcast podcast number 95 for august 26th 2023 Hap Holly, KC9RP, will conclude his 1991 conversation with Larry Magney, editor of Passport to the World Band Radio, after you identify your station. I'm Kent Peterson, KC0DGY, and we'll be right back.
1: If we sell them to dealers, which we often do, that's, I guess where most of it goes, then of course you got that. So the end result is it's not financially all that attractive, but it's it's one of those good things. It doesn't hurt us. It's just like chicken soup. It helps people when they're making decisions and buying. You're sort of a success story in that uh, at one time you were a regular nine-to-fiver behind the desk, I gather. Yeah. Seven years ago, uh, you began what you're doing today, and now you're doing it full-time. The origins of the company go back 20 years. When I decided to to poke into the field and and found that there was an awful lot I thought could be done better, frankly, and frequency management appealed to me. Uh, And I got involved in that, and I got involved in some engineering stuff, and that was really our bread and butter for a long time. It wasn't a, a big, lucrative type of thing, but it was enough to to justify the time and so forth and the results were quite pleasing we did some counter jamming work and, and things of that nature in addition long and short of it is that uh, that we were very pleased with that it was a nice operation and a small but very happy team it was it was sort of like being paid for DXing, you know and everybody was quite pleased but then we found the market was thin and we lost a couple of clients very close to each other without any kind of warning. and These were government clients, and and, uh, there's not much you could do about it. It was just political changes. So we decided that to heck with this. This is a perilous existence, and, and rather than keep trying to pursue that, we had this database, as I mentioned, anyway, and we thought, well, let's see if we can kind of spread our manure out a little bit here by offering this as a publication. So the company actually goes back about 20 years, but the publishing end of it only goes back about seven do you see the whole shortwave hobby popularity craze leveling off soon, or do you think it's just going to continue to proliferate like crazy? Well, I think certain that it's not going to continue as it did nine or ten days ago, when it was a feeding frenzy of radios. I mean, you just can't buy any now. With people calling and we whisper in their ears, it's just almost like a black market at this point. And the saddest thing is the manufacturers, not all, but many of them are fast asleep. They just could care less. Absolutely. It's, it's pathetic. But there are some that are they're on their toes. Hopefully, they will they will address the market better in, in the future. But in any event, what we have seen and what we've heard from others in the field is that the, the market took an enormous rise about 10 days ago. It just unprecedented. It was it was a madness there for a couple of days. It tapered off considerably, but it's been holding up well since. I think as long as the war is there, it's going to continue to hold up well. Another thing, these people who bought these radios Some may drop out. We don't know. We've never been through a war situation before. But I strongly suspect that the vast majority will stick with it. Those people, of course, are going to need equipment. They're going to keep buying books. So I I, I don't think things will taper off. We have that long-term growth rate that's been there all along. That's not going to go away. With all the publicity and everything else, my guess is that all the unfortunate things that this war has, has brought about and will continue to. Uh, there are always little silver flecks on, on even the darkest cloud. And I think here, the American people have shown they're very interested in knowing what's going on beyond their borders. And, and I think that is a socially very important thing for us to have happen. Uh, what you guys are doing is, is very variant of the same thing not only just a hobby and rag-chewing, but it's always had that sense of people trying to reach out and communicate with each other, whether it be across borders or across the town. And I think it's a terribly important thing. And a number of our, our staff are hams. It's a kind of an ironic situation. man. But I've always felt that the two fields, on one hand, we've suffered from hamming in the sense that people say, shortwave listening, oh, you're a ham. So we've tried to make sure that people realize that there's a difference, because it's hard to explain what the facts are when people don't understand what you're talking about. On the other hand, there's definitely a body politic among shortwave listeners that becomes hands, and with the general coverage of transceivers, which are so common now, there's a growing number of hands that are becoming SWLs as well. To me, this is the kind of thing that's really beneficial. Everybody's coming
0: out ahead. I don't see a downside. And that concludes this Rain Hamcast podcast number 95 for August 26, 2023. You can catch Rain's HamCast podcasts on therainreport.com, archive.org in The Rain Collection, Amazon, Spotify, and more. Our next podcast is scheduled to post September 9th, 2023. You're invited to recommend topics you'd like us to cover. Our address is hap, with one p, at therainreport.com. That's H-A-P at therainreport.com. RAIN founder Hapali, KC9RP, edits and produces this bi-weekly ham radio hamcast without monetization. Your support via PayPal and feedback on the RainReport.com are appreciated. Copyright 1985-2023, RAIN, the Radio Amateur Information Network. All rights reserved. RAIN programming is made available and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 4.0 International License at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by-nc-nd slash 4.0. You are encouraged to download, share, Post and transmit the Rain Hamcast in its entirety via amateur radio. Thanks to Tom Shimizu, N9JDI, for posting a not-for-broadcast version of these podcasts via the Rain Report channel on YouTube. That's it for now. I'm Kent Peterson, KC0, DGY, Bidding Your Very 73. From Rain, the Radio Amateur Information Network. Keep on hamming! Keep on hamming.